Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Again, in Romans chapter 2, Paul is starting to make, he's continuing his argument basically before the bar of God in a sense to, as a prosecuting attorney to show how all of humanity is guilty before God. The heathen are guilty because they can see revelation in nature. The educated people are guilty because they know the they have an idea of the law of God, and if nothing, if they don't know the specific law, they at least have a law written on their hearts because they know we're right and wrong. I mean, every society has a code of conduct, and when you violate that code, what does it show? There is a moral law that you are violating, all right? It's written on your heart. And if you go back far enough, what did all of humanity at one time know? They knew what God wanted, didn't they? All right, this is not secret. They knew what God wanted. If you go back far enough, everybody knows. And Paul is saying you're all guilty. But then in chapter 2 here, verse 17, he takes his attention over to the Jewish person. Because now what did the Jew pride themselves on? They knew the law. They had the law of God. They were God's people. They were in. They were in. Christ hit this again, 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 remember in the Gospels. Well, we're Abraham's seed. We don't know about you, but we're okay because we're Abraham's seed. We're in. If you go look at some of the rabbinical writings of that time, you find that the rabbis taught that Abraham himself sat at the gates of hell and refused to allow any circumcised Jew to enter. Get the, get the right, you're in. Doesn't matter how you live, you're okay. You have the law. You have the words of God. You're okay. And Paul's going to make the argument here. says, you know, that's a double-edged sword. Is it good to know what God wants? But it's really bad if you don't what? Don't do it. Yes. He says, you guys know the word. You guys know what it is. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, he said, you guys call yourselves Jews. And what do you do? Um, you rely on the law. You have God's <coughs> law. But what, and and you, you make your boast of God. You, you, you claim that you know God. This is the thing that Christ constantly beat, constantly was hitting the wall with the Pharisees on. They thought they knew God. They were in. They were okay. And Christ wasn't one of them, so obviously he didn't know God. Because he wasn't, you know, he didn't go to their schools. He didn't follow their teachings. So Christ obviously is of the devil. That was their <coughs> conclusion. He says, you guys call yourselves a Jew. Since you call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law. You, 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 you rest in it. You rest in the law. You, you, you think you're okay. Did Jesus actually not go to rabbinical school? No, he did not go to rabbinical school. Because they referred to him as rabbi? Well, they ta- that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a respectful... He had a group of disciples that followed him around. It was a title of respect. 
but he, he did not graduate from their seminaries. He didn't. Oh, he was arguing with the lawyers, but didn't say he was, you know, had gone to their schools. <laughs> yeah, now, and see, as I say, that's a mystery, isn't it? He is God, but he did not come with the full knowledge of all of that meant. He learned like we did. The problem is he didn't have to worry about forgetting things. Forgetting things. But it's like Samuel was saying, he's in the synagogue teaching with the he was disputing with them. He was dialoguing with them. I don't know what the word there is. Yeah, they were astounded that he was so knowledgeable. So what Sammy said then, how do we know he didn't? Nowhere does it say he went to a school. Um, a little bit. Josephus is a good historian. Yeah. But Josephus, I don't think, mentions. There's no record that Jesus went to a rabbinical school or studied under. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's what threw the Pharisees so much. How could he be so smart and yet not be one of us? Yeah. Because even if he had gone to formal schooling, he wouldn't have learned by age 12 what he knew at age 12. Now, he might have gone to language, you know, he might have, he, he learned like everybody else. How did he learn? He went to school to learn how to read. Okay, he's God, he didn't just like, you know, he had it downloaded like the Matrix, you know, where you download the information into you. He learned like everybody else. He grew up like everybody else. The difference is because there's no stain of sin, you know, his intelligence quotient was probably off the charts on the high end. All right. But he learned and developed, okay, and... The interesting thing, I mean, imagine what would happen, you know, if I were to walk into some college and university and be able to teach high-level physics, and I say, where'd you go to school? Oh, I just picked up a bunch of books and read them. Well, wait a minute, who did you study under? Well, nobody. Where's your degree? I don't have one. But you're just, you're, you're actually button heads with these guys on stuff they can't even figure out, you know? So... That's what threw the Pharisees with Christ. We have no record that he went to a rabbinical school. Now, admittedly, we have no record of his life prior to, or between the ages of 12, and when he started his public ministry. All right? Would you think that the Holy Spirit aided him? And you know how so many times we talk about how the Holy Spirit will help us in praying or in speaking to people. I've got circumstances where, you know, Things came to my mind that I wouldn't have thought of in talking yeah. to people. And uh, I wonder if that he was being helped yeah. by the Holy Spirit at that time, too. I well, one of the great mysteries is where did Christ, when did Christ understand what he was here for? We're not told. Well, after, after Other than at verse 12, I must be about my father's business. Right. So there was something he, where did he get that? How did he figure it out? Where did it come from? What was his developmental path? We're not told. You wonder if Mary or Joseph talked to him about that? Oh, probably they did. I mean, what do you do with a kid that never sins? How'd you like one of those? <laughs> never disobey his parents, never sin, never did anything wrong. Wow. You know, I, I give real money for somebody like that, you know? <laughs> or, or did he as a human being? Did what? Not sin, but do wrong. No. No. 
He couldn't. Yeah, now how'd you like that? Why can't you be like Jesus, Ma? You know, I, boy, I'd be rough, you know. Yeah, you have an older brother that never sinned, which is, which is probably why it took uh, James and the rest of them a while to figure out, you know, or to believe, you know, because it's like, wait a minute, probably their entire life, why can't you be like your older brother? Well, he's God, Mom, and he doesn't sin. I mean, that's kind of rough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, he learned it from us. No, he didn't learn it from you. You know, he didn't learn it from you. Now, probably, again, I think Jesus probably went to school to learn the language and things like that. But, I mean, as far as writing, I'm talking about writing. But, um, no, he didn't. He, he developed like every other child. It's just that he was uber smart and he didn't forget things and he was brilliant. And, well, he knew the Old Testament because he probably knew it by heart. I mean, being, you know, incarnate God, you know, he probably read it and could recite it back to you. You know, I don't know all of that. You know, we're not told, but we'll ask him, you know, when we get there. But the point is, he said, he's, he, Paul is saying to these Jews, you rest in the law. You, you find your, your happy place in the law. You think you're okay there. And you make your boast of it. You, you, you're constantly boasting about your knowledge of the law. What does it mean to boast? Brag. Brag. You're bragging about it. These guys would sit and argue till the cows came home on different things, and they would boast about their knowledge. I seen a little bit of this when I was in college, where, you know, you have some professors, not all of them, but some of them that just, you know, they think they're smarter than they really are, and they let you know that, you know, and you know, they're, 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 they're the brilliant ones, you know. Um, Paul, and, and by the way, that, that was the mark of some of the Pharisees, right? They said, we know, we, we know what's going on. We don't know where you're getting this information, but we know the truth. They boasted in it. He said, you guys are named Jews. You're called a Jew by someone else. You, you're named a Jew. You rest in the law, you boast in God. And it says, and you know his will. What does it mean to know? It's um, you're knowing God's will. You say you do. This is what they're saying. They're saying we know God's will. We know what God wants. What's God's will? It's his will or desire. We know God's will. We, we're Jew. We rest in the law. We boast in God. And we know God's will. Now, did they? Did they know God's will? Well, there's a couple of ways to probably get this, you know, when Paul's trying to talk about it here. He said, number one, you boast in that you know God's will, implying then you probably don't. You think you do. Or he could say, you know God's will because he has revealed some of it in the law. You know what that is. So there's a couple of ways to take that. Because Paul would never diss the law, would he? 
Now he would he would diss your misunderstanding of it. But later on, Paul says the law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is me. It's not the law that's the problem. I can't do it. But he's saying, you guys, you 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 know God's will. You know what God wants. How do you know what God wants? Well, we know in general and how do we know that? We have the scriptures. And I think that's what Paul's probably getting at here. He says, you guys have the God, scriptures. You sort of know what God wants. And what does God want? I want, sac I want your heart, not your externals. Right. Yeah. Well, that, we get into the specific will. You know, like, does God want me to marry this person or that person or this job or that job? That's what we think of. Paul is saying at a high level, you sort of know what God wants. And what does God want at a high level? Right. Obedience, your heart. In fact, um, Sammy, look this up in the message. The um, passage in Isaiah, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. Their heart is far from me. Yeah. Um, I think it's one, maybe Isaiah 1 or somewhere around in there. Um but, but Paul is saying you, you, you have a general understanding, and you do because you have the law. You have God's word. You know, God has revealed that. And not only that, <clears throat> he says, you prove, dokimatso, you approve those, you approve with approval those things that are excellent. Where do you get the excellent things? Out of the word of God. You approve of excellent things. It's sort of like you approve of God's law, you approve the excellence of the law. The problem is you just don't do it. You approve of it, you just don't do it. And why is that? Because you're being instructed out of the law. Catechismo. What word do you think we get out of that? Catechism, catechize. What is to catechize? To teach. Right, by rote memory. You are catechized from the law. You, 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 you got this drilled into you. You know this stuff. Catechao to to drill into, to instruct, to teach. It would be easier for me to find it if I didn't have the message, you know, um, then I could... Uh, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Yeah. Teaching for... Yeah. Well, what we could do here in the Blue Letter Bible is honor me with, let's see if we can find that. Heart, and this, all right, now let's try. Come on, come on, come on. Okay, okay, come on. Um, heart is far. Not fat, far. That's what, ha that's what happens when you're, uh, Matthew 15, 18 is a, is a yeah. And Isaiah 29, 13. Isaiah 29, 13. But Paul is telling the Jew here, says, you guys believe you're in a privileged place. You have the law. You boast in God. You generally know God's will, at least you think you do. You are approving those excellent things, which... In your mind, you are the Word of God. And not only that, but you're catechized from the law. You are taught from the law. That's pretty good stuff right there. 
The problem is, where was their heart? That's the thing Paul's getting at. Yeah, that is a great paraphrase of that. These people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. But where's their heart? Oh, you say you approve the things of God, but you just don't do them. Your heart's not in it. You think you have all the right answers, but at the end of the day, you really don't. You think you're smart, but you're not. So you get a bunch of the religious Pharisees together, and Christ is doing miracles, he's raising the dead, he's doing all of these things. And instead of saying, you know, maybe we got this whole thing wrong about him, your conclusion is he has to be doing it by the power of the devil. Because he didn't go to our school, he didn't graduate from one of our seminaries, and he's not hanging with us, because after all, we know the law. We're in. And then, in Matthew, and then John 8, Christ says, where I'm going, you can't come. And I said, what are you going to do, kill yourself? Their idea is if you kill yourself, you go to hell, right? Oh, you're going to hell. We're going to heaven. We know that. So if, if you're not going with us, that means you're going to hell because we're, we're, we're already in heaven. You ever run into somebody? This, this, this is the most irritating person on the planet. who are so sure of themselves are not even open to the possibility that they may be wrong. They're not even open to the possibility that they don't have the answer. I've run into people like that. They're so sure of themselves that even a question, the fact that they may be wrong, oh, not, they don't, it, it doesn't even cross their mind. They're so sure of themselves. My mind's made up. I'm right. And that was the problem with the Pharisees. And that's what Paul's hitting at here in this passage in Romans. He's saying, you guys are so sure of yourself. I'm sorry, Danny, what did you say a second ago? I said, uh, my, my, my mind's made up. Don't confuse me with facts. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've already made up my mind. I already know the answer. Well, I don't want to hear anything else. Mm. And, and we live in a world where... Everybody has the answer. You're not even open to the possibility of dialogue. And that's in the church. It's in the society. We see that, right? Just look at our public discourse right now where there's no dialogue. We can't even, you can't even ask a question without being dissed or canceled. That's the way it was back then. You couldn't even ask a question. They knew the answer. They were not open to any dialogue or any anything that in any way was a threat to their worldview. And Christ was a different, that he was a threat to their worldview. He basically came in and said, you think you have the answers, let me tell you, you don't have any of them. You're wrong about this. And Paul is saying, you guys, you make your boast of the law, you think you have it, you're instructed from the law, and listen, listen, and you are 
confident. Confident. That's a good word. You are being confident. You are 100% you are assured of yourself that you're a guide to the blind people. Now, in the Jewish mindset, who were the people that were blind? Gentiles, people without the law. And what did Christ tell them? You blind guides. You blind guides. Uneducated Jew and the Gentiles. Doing stuff that's obviously against the law, like stuff on Sundays and stuff or on the Sabbath mm -hmm. on Sundays. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, he was doing quote unquote wrong stuff, and he was from the wrong side of the tracks, and he was uneducated. Where'd you, where'd you go to school? I went to Frog Pond University in the middle of West Virginia. Well, how do you get so smart? Yeah. You're not one of us. Yeah. He said, you guys are confident. You, 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 you boast. Look, notice what he says, you guys boast. You make your boast. You approve. You're confident that you're a guide to the blind. The word for guide there is an interesting word. Odegas, it means... It's sort of a word that means a guide along a road. To keep somebody on the right path idea. You're, and pedagogos, which is a word that is in pedagogy, which is an instructor of children, a, a, a teacher. Okay, so it's sort of the same root idea. He says, you guys think that you, you're an instructor of the blind, of those who are blind. You bring, he said, in fact, he says, the idea there is, is you bring light to blind people. You are a light to those who are in darkness. Now, in their mind, what was light and darkness a metaphor of? Well, it's good and evil, but what else? The light goes on, right? Light goes on. In fact, uh, the um, American Sign Language for idea is, your light goes on. All right, that's one of the things I learned. Yeah, your light goes on. You know, somebody said, "Yeah, his porch light's off." You know, um, the idea there of light is that it's knowledge, it's information, it's understanding. You guys are confident that you're a guide to blind people who need to to see the light. You're confident of this. You are you are confident of this thing. And not only that, in verse 20, he says, an instructor of the foolish, an instructor there, uh, a teacher. That's paidutes, which is a teacher of children. You're a kindergarten teacher to the kids to teach them what? The truth. To teach them the foolish, there's a, the ones who are foolish. It's, you know, it's the opposite of wise. Basically, it's, it's the people who are not wise. Not wise in what? They're dumb people? No. To the Jew, what was wisdom? Knowledge, Knowledge of what? The law and what to do. It was not brain power. It was not your intellectual IQ that they were looking at. It was 
Do you know what God wants and are you doing it? That's wisdom to the Jew. You guys think that you are a teacher, and you're a teacher, the Daskalon. You're a teacher of babes. Little babies, you're a teacher. You're a teacher. So look, he said, you're a guide. You think you are a guide, an instructor, a teacher. You guys make a lot of boasts, thinking that you're teaching people the right thing, aren't you? And yet, what did Christ say about the Pharisees in Matthew 23? Woe to you, Pharisees. Actually, he, and, and by the way, in our modern parlance, damn you, Pharisees. Because you encompass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when you do, he's twice as bad as you are. This is somebody who thinks that they have it all together. And he says, <clears throat> you have a form of knowledge. You have a, from the law, you have a form of it. You're just not doing it. You're not doing it. Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Does the law have knowledge and truth in it? Yeah, it does. And you're confident that you're teaching the right stuff and doing the right stuff and acting the right way and you're a teacher of the babies and you're leading the people along the road the right path. But the problem is, where is your heart? It's far from you. It's far from me. And then he, he turns and says, well, hey, um, you guys are teaching other you teachers. All you people that are boasting about your teaching and you're a, a leader and a guide to the blind and teaching children and showing people the right. All you guys, you who teach other people, do you teach yourself? It says here, if, you, if you're brought up Jewish, don't assume that you can lean back in the arms of your religion and take it special word of caution for you who are sure that you have it all together yourselves and because you know God's revealed word inside and out you feel qualified to guide others through their blind alleys and dark nights and confused emotions to God. While you are guiding others, who is going to guide you? I'm quite serious. While preaching don't steal, are you going to rob people blind? Who would suspect you? The same with adultery, the same with idolatry. You can get by with almost anything if you front it with eloquent talk about God and his law. The line from scripture says, it's because of you Jews that the outsiders are down on God. Uh, which shows it's an old problem that isn't going to go away. Yeah. Here's the deal. He says, you guys that teach others, are you teaching yourself at the same time? You preach, Caruso, to preach, to proclaim against stealing. Do you steal? Now, what did Christ say about them? Well, their life doesn't match what they're teaching. They're like a 
And how did they how did they get around that? Well, they felt they're so superior. But for example, a couple of examples that Christ hit on. He says, "You say it is a gift." Sorry, mom and dad, I can't help you. I give my money to God. Or they go and do. And God's saying, "I don't need your money." Yeah. See, they had this elaborate ritual where if they, you know, if they had money, they'd say, "Well, I, I've donated it all to God, so I can't help my parents." But now I can go and use it for myself, but I'm just not allowed to use it for my mom and dad. A sort of a legalized, I don't want to scam or, you know, this, this is sort of like a tax shelter here, you know. I've, I've got it in this God shelter over here. You, you know, I, I can't. And then the other thing is, um, you rob widows' houses. See, the law forbade a Jewish scribe or a, a Jewish um, lawyer to charge um, widows for their services. But they had a legalized way where they could scam the widow and ultimately steal her house, which is the only thing she had. And they did it all legally above board, thinking they're serving God, but they are stealing them blind. What about, what do you see stealing today? Look at some of these TV preachers, how they steal. How they rob people, so to speak. I read a statistic where the number one giver to these prosperity preachers are poor, older women. They're the number one target. I think that statistic still holds, but it's the number one target. They prey on the poor. You guys, you preach against stealing. You say, thou shalt not steal. That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? But then you create legalized stealing by disregarding the law. Klepto. See, kleptomaniac. That's the Greek word, klepto. You, you, you steal. You take what is not yours. You take advantage of people. And one of the things that, that in fact, in, interestingly, when you go read through the Minor Prophets, you just go home today and just read the Minor Prophets, starting in Hosea, just work your way through, you find that there's several big sins. One is big sin is idolatry. That goes all the way through it. The second one is oppression of the poor. That goes all the way through it. And the third is a perversion of justice. That goes all the way through them. You guys sell the poor for a pair of shoes. Oh, you preach the law of God. You say people should not steal, and yet you are creating new ways to steal and take advantage of people. Of course, you do it all legally in your mind, but you violate the law of God. Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, we have to look at ourselves. You know, we have to look at our own lives. You know, do we steal? Well, you said before, to get, get the speck out of your eye, you've got to get the beam out of my eye. Get the beam out of my own eye, you know. You have people that say, you know, oh, you know, it's horrible, you know, those people that steal, and then you shade your taxes a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what does 
God require of you, O man, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? Yep. Fifth is the fatherless and the widows and their yes. affliction. Yes. And to keep yourself unspotted from yes. the world. Yes. The way you live your life, the way you treat other people. You know, and our problem is we legally, in our mind, sometimes stretch things. And we're very good at that. And that's why you need to come back to the Word of God, which um, sort of resets your dials a little bit. Then the next one, he says, you, you say, you preach against committing adultery. Do you do it? What's the obvious answer? Yeah. Oh, you don't do the physical act, but you think about it. Look at our society today. Look at the stuff you can get online in the privacy of your own home. Used to be you had to go down to the post office to get your magazine in a brown paper wrapper. Now nobody cares. Right. You you now it's just out there. You know you can walk in and get anything you want. Think of just think of the stuff that we see now on TV and you know back in the '60s you know they they wouldn't show the inside of a bathroom now. It's Anything goes. Yeah, and, 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 and here's the problem with some of that. It's, well, I'm seeing these products of, um, what is it, uh, for AIDS prevention, um, condom commercials now. Um, I've seen some commercials with gay couples in them. You know, and what it, here's what it is. It's just... It's moral rot. And after a while, we get used to it. We don't think about it. You know, um, a physics professor had a very large log. I said, I want you to get this thing moving. Here's a pea shooter. And most people said, that ain't going to work. You know, pea shooter with this log? Yeah, come on. You know, this is, you know, 20 pounds of log, and I got a little pea shooter? Well, all you need to do is you just keep shooting peas at it until after a while, what happens? Over a long enough period of time, that thing is swinging back and forth. Just a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. People our age, we know the difference of how things were and how they are now. Kids don't know that. Younger generation just takes this for granted. They don't know it. The way it is, this is the way it always was. Well, it wasn't always that way. I remember, you know, so I would. Yeah. Lower the moral thing to down here. With your younger people, it doesn't take much more yeah. to get way down for the next generation. And that's really what's happening. You got something that I call moral entropy, where it just things are getting worse and worse and worse over time, but it's so slow that a lot of us don't catch it. Do you? You know, I find myself sometimes watching a TV show and wait a minute. You know, my grandma would have coughed her skull up had she been watching this thing. She would not have been able to handle it. Like what in the world? We think nothing of it. Well, I know, but I'm, I'm saying I'm saying that we've been accustomed. Especially the young people. Yeah. It was interesting. I was reading something where you know the average college graduate today has always had a CD. 
Well, I remember when CDs first came out. Yes. You know? I remember when you had 45 RPM records. They didn't even know what that looked like. You know, what is a 33 RPM? I got some 78s. You know, what is that? You know, it's all MP3 now. Yeah. They grew up where trust was still a thing. Yes. It's not anymore. Yeah. These bad guys. But Paul is, Paul is saying, you guys talk there, you say, oh, we don't want to commit adultery, but you do it yourself. I still remember the statistics someone said where the hotel manager said the number one use of porn movies is when they have the pastor's conference in town. Oh, wow, that tells you something there. You get away from the church and you can open up your yikes. And the problem is sometimes it's pumped at you. It's not like you're going out to get it. It's just pumped at you. We live in that kind of society. He said, and, this is, and you who abhor idols, that's a, that's a very strong word. It's a visceral abhorrence. You abhor idols, but you know what? And this is, this is a really interesting word. It's only used here. It's a hot pox. That means it's only used once in the New Testament. So you've got to try and figure out, like, what does it mean? Because there's no context behind it. Some have said you rob temples. Others say you're sacrilegious. I think the basic idea that Paul's trying to make is say, you abhor idolatry, but yet you are idolaters. You abhor it, you say you abhor it, you say you abhor idols, but in a way, you are an idolater. Because what is an idolater? The root of a, the basic definition of an idolater is what? You worship the wrong God or the right God the wrong way. Right? That's a way to be idolatrous, isn't it? You got the right God, you're just not doing it right. How does God feel about that? Well, ask Hophni and Phineas how that worked out for them. First day of their duties, they offered strange fire before the Lord. What does that mean? They didn't do the right thing. God gave them instructions. They didn't obey those instructions. And what happened? Fire came out and destroyed them. And God's making a point. No, that's not the way it works. That was not God having a bad hair day or anything like that. It was God making a point. I gave you instructions, and you just you, you, you teach them. And here's the idea. I think the idea behind the sacrilegious thing is taking that which is holy and treating it as unholy. Not serious. Not, you're not serious about it. You say you abhor idols, but yet you have an idolatrous streak within you. You think you don't. Because why is it? Here's the thing. All these things are external. You go to the temple. That's the quote out of Isaiah. You go to the temple and you honor me with your lips, but your heart is somewhere else. But also, not, not just idols themselves, but something else in your life that's more yeah. important to you than that. Yeah. Exactly. Money. Anything. The, the, 
someone said the human heart is an idle factory. I forget who said that. One of the reformers said that, I think. I can't remember which one. The human heart is an idle factory. We create them. And we don't think we do. I was just going to say, it's more common that we all individually need to ever be cognizant of that. We, we, I mean, whether it's, whether it's what you do for a living that you are more in love with, whether it's Anything, grandchildren. What, yeah. We can, we can, we need to be aware on a daily, almost daily basis. Yeah. Am I really so fond of this person, thing, habit, exercise that it's more important to me than? Yeah. yeah. What's first? Yeah. What's what's first in your life? And um. You know, one of the those things are just normal, and they're good things. Yes, yeah. yes. For example, like you're yeah. saying about, about your children or your yes, grandchildren yes. or your, or your well, spouse or things, they're, yes. they're not necessarily bad things. But are they the are they, they're, are they the primary thing that should be? Well, I, I know <clears throat> I had a personal personal testimony of this kind of thing here. Um, you know, when, I, when Donna and I found out she had terminal cancer, you know, that was a little rough for me because, um, you know, Donna and I were really close. We never fought. We never argued. We never scrapped. We just got along. And she was the godly one in the family. I just want everybody to know that. She was the godly one in the family. Um, <clears throat> and there was a little bit of a struggle, you know, like, what am I going to do living my life without her, you know? And I remember taking a walk by my street, and I sort of remember where I was on the street within 50 feet or 10 feet of where I was when it hit me. She doesn't belong to me. In fact, I don't belong to me, actually. She belongs to God. And God has a right to recall his property anytime he wants. And I think that was, I remember that being a major turning point in my dealing with that trial is that, wait a minute, in essence, I'm value, valuing Donna more than I'm value, valuing God. I had to think about that a little bit, and it hit me that. You know, God, she doesn't belong to, in fact, you know, I thank you that you loaned her to me for 38 years or whatever, but yeah. she's not mine. You know, she was on loan. In fact, I'm on loan myself to whoever is in my life. I'm on loan to them. I don't belong to me. Nothing I have is mine. Yeah, so it's like, and I remember that being, I remember that being a turning point for me, you know. And then I remember going to the um, grief share. And, you know, between you and me and that, as I thought about it, I said, how much of grief, you know, when I went through the, it's not like I had to go through the grief share. I mean, I wanted to see what it was like. You know, it wasn't like I was grieving. I needed emotional help or anything like that. I was okay, but I thought it would be a good thing to go through, all right? 
and it, by the way, it's a good program. Just, it's awesome. Um, it's an awesome program, you know. But it occurred to me that a lot of the grief that people feel is a grief because God took that person. And, and we, we need to feel lost because that's part of the human condition. That's because of the curse. Thank you, Adam and Eve. But when we focus on that, I think it exacerbates grief. So how do you balance, you know, the Bible says we grieve, but not, not like those who have no hope. So you, you grieve, but you don't grieve like those who have no hope. And I remember talking to a lady, he said, well, have you gone through the anger with God stage yet? And I said, what do you mean anger with God? Well, you got to be mad with God because he took Donna. So why do I need to be mad with God because he took Donna? God is in heaven. She wouldn't come back here if she wanted to, right? Where do you want to be, heaven? Okay, well, she's where she wanted to be. She's where we want to be. Explain to me how that's a bad thing. Yeah, I get it. It's, I'm sad. You know, it, I wish she was here, but you know what? I wouldn't want her back. But that goes back to this. Uh, that's a personal example of what do you put in front of God? And I had to come to that point, and I said, wait a minute. If I put Donna in front of God, this is going to be a lot worse for me than if I get a proper perspective and say, no, Donna doesn't belong to me. And God is not being bad, because given enough time, one or the other of us is going to go to heaven first. Right? Yeah, so it's better for her me without her than her without me, this is a good thing. And that helped me. Doesn't mean it didn't hurt any, you know. You feel sorry, you feel sad, but, you know, I, I did not go through the throes of depression and grief. Like, I did grieve, but not, I didn't go through the throes of it because I think, I think God gave me a perspective. There. That's one of the things, by the way, Don and I prayed for, that we would have a proper perspective on things. And I think God honored that prayer there. But I think it goes back to this general idea. You guys say you hate idol idols, and you hate idolatry, but really you're idolaters, just in different ways. You, you're, not, you're not bowing down to some god in a pagan temple, but there's something in your heart that you have in front of God, that you're placing in front of God. In the Pharisees, you're placing your, your boast of the law, your education, your knowledge, your supposed ability, you're placing that in front of God. So you're an idolater. And he said, because of this, the word of God is blaspheme, blasphemeo, to speak evil of. How is God spoken evil of among the Gentiles? Oh, you're a Christian. Well, look at your life. I'm not, I don't want your God. Now, one big way they did is Israel went into captivity, right? So in the pagan mindset, if my army beats your army, what, is it, what does that say about my God? My God's better than your God. So if my army beat your army, my God's bigger than your God. And God said, you know, you guys are making me look bad. Live that way. Yeah. So people judge us by our lives. Mm -hmm. They don't know our hearts. Maybe we don't know our hearts yeah. either sometimes of what we're yeah. living, but 
that's where they see us. And sometimes you, you have you had that? I've heard people say they've invited people to come to church that they know. And they say, well, is so-and-so going to your church? They say, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I see how they are. I'd never go to your church. I'd never go to your church. See, here's the point that we need to take away from this. Paul's going after these guys saying, you're making God look bad because you're not living your life the way you should. But the thing we have to ask ourselves is, how do I make God look? See, I'm going to make God look good or bad. And I really want to make him look good. And when you get to the point where you say, I want to make God look good, that changes the way you think about a lot of things. Paul is telling these guys, you think you're in, you think you're okay, you think you're fine, but let me tell you something. You guys are rotten, you're idolaters, you're thieves, you're adulterers, and not only that, you're making God look bad. So just because you have the law, you're, that doesn't help you a bit. Not a bit. Yep. Let's not give them an excuse. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, pick up with verse 25 and finish it up next. Now, we're not going to meet next week. All right. So, Father, thank you for this time, and thank you for the time in your word, and I pray that you would teach us and help us to remember these things, to walk out of here with the realization that every interaction we have with someone is going to make you look good or bad. I like to make you look good, Father. Um, I like to make sure my life matches what I say. I pray that you would take these words to heart again. Thank you for this day, for this time we've had to study your word in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.